Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, well, good evening. We are going to start with one of our elementary school students who is very precocious and asks uh, different questions at various times. So I will go over all the things she asked, and then we can kind of take turns in how we want to respond to those. So again, this is, she's either eight or nine years old. And she has a few questions. One is, what do we eat in heaven? Great question. Are we happy Are we happy all the time up there? Two. Three, are there toys in heaven? And then, are there houses in heaven? Okay, so I will take, are we happy all the time in heaven? Yes, yes, yes. Um, heaven is a great place, and uh, we know that in Revelation 21, God wipes every tear from everyone's eyes, and there's no more pain, sorrow, suffering, for the former things have passed away. So that's a pretty awesome thing. And then, um, I won't answer all of them, but then the question is, are there any houses in heaven? Well, in John 14, Jesus told his followers when you know, he was telling them that he had to go to the cross, that uh, in the Father's house are many mansions, and that when he goes to ascend into heaven, that he would, uh, he would prepare a place for us, and you know, it'll be our abode. Um, to, explain, <laughs> to explain to an eight- or nine-year-old, let alone a 60-year-old, or to myself, uh, there's just some things eye has not seen, ear has not heard. The Bible is very clear that we cannot comprehend the wonderful things that will be there. So I will let Pastor Paul see if he knows what's on the menu, because there's a few other questions that were asked. We'll see what happens. It'll be good for us in heaven. There will be nothing that is bad for us in heaven. All the food will be wonderful. Um, it does talk about feasts. Um, I think we'll be, I th- if we do eat, which I don't know why we wouldn't, you know, there's not a lot of details about what our heavenly or eternal bodies are going to require, but there w- it will be something that will, you know, sustain us for all eternity. So whether it's going to require some type of intake of food, you know, we get a lot of pleasure from food. So I just think of it in this context, too, you know, that most of us get pleasure. You know, they call certain foods comfort foods for a reason, because it it stimulates something in us that gives us pleasure. So I don't think God is going to, I don't think there are going to be less pleasurable things in heaven than there are on the earth. Put it that way. There's going to be more pleasurable things to us things that are good for us, things that bring us happiness and pleasure, and certainly food is one of those things. So I don't know what's on the menu, Pastor Joe, but I do. Uh, I think we can pretty well assume that we will be eating in heaven in some way. I knew he would do a good job with that question. Here you go. Well, I know there's definitely dessert. It's angel food cake. As Pastor Joe said, what no eye has seen or ear has heard is what God has in store for those who believe in Him. So I think of uh, paradise when Adam and Eve were created and how they had food. You know, food was presented in paradise before the fall. Uh, We have the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're all going to partake of. So I'm sure that's going to be a tremendous meal. What it's going to be made of, I don't know. I, we don't know that. And um, that's it. 
if there are French fries, it won't raise your cholesterol or anything. It won't do anything bad for you. So it'll taste twice as good without the problems. <laughs> uh, so then this one uh, question is, how do you see AI as far as artificial intelligence uh, in importance in the future events in Revelation? AI, AI Jesus there's a subject in itself, AI beast or AI antichrist. All right. So um, I actually have been covering, not only did I cover it in my revelation study, but I also covered it in the, you know, it's been an interesting month back and forth. There's been so many events. Um, So actually this Sunday, I'm going to be in the third sermon on the end of Matthew 21, which is, you know, the coming of the Lord, all really good stuff. And I did talk about, uh, I think in two out of three, the last one, I talked about AI and the image of the beast and how the Antichrist or the global fascist dictator who comes at a later time from where we are um, is able to almost duplicate himself. And we talked about cloning. We talked about hybrid people. We talked about all the crazy fantasies that the World Economic Forum is talking about, and they're billionaires, and they have the money to do this research. So uh, I think AI will will play a huge part in these things. Uh, in addition to that, AI is something that is unpredictable, right? Uh, companies have experimented with it, and they want the computers. It's almost like a laziness that humans have. I, I, listen, it can do a lot of good things, but you know, you want it to run your company but then you want to watch for signs of it taking over and omitting you, the CEO from the process. That actually recently, I think it was, somebody can help me out with this, I think it was Google. They did a test run. It was one of the big corps, uh, and they, they shut it down because it was, it was adapting too quickly, and it was starting to push out human interactions. That's kind of creepy. So... Um, can it be used for simple things that are good? Sure. Can it be used for evil? Absolutely. Do I think that it's going to be at least some part of uh, eschatology or you know end times scenario where you know powerful people want to take over large swaths of the swaths of the world? World, yes. So I think it definitely can be used for evil. Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He's the angel of light. He's a copycat of uh, Jesus. What he does, he always tries to copy it because he cannot create. But he always copies things in order to deceive the human race. And he's done a great job with that. As we know, Jesus is the real deal. And... um, Satan is always trying to fake people out. So things that started a long time ago, like the chips and animals, and now hundreds of thousands of people are getting a chip put in their, uh, their wrist, as I think Pastor Joe showed, to just scan at a supermarket. More and more people are doing that out of convenience. But again, uh, that is not the mark of the beast, but it's definitely... A sh- foreshadowing of what will come. AI is, uh, we had at our men's retreat, we talked about the AI Jesus. You can Google it on YouTube. There is an AI Jesus. There's an AI Jesus chat room. And it's satanic. It's not um, anything. He'll use Bible verses, but he also incorporates it with all different philosophies, um, from the east, it's, it's terrible. But here's the key. How long have we been using technology? How long have we had our phones and iPads and computers? Kids, little kids in kindergarten, first grade, they can handle the iPads. So we are ripe right now to just fall right into this whole thing with artificial intelligence. Especially when the world is turning against Jews and Christians. So they're going to be ostracized. And this whole artificial intelligence and 
education will be embraced. So you can see it. It's right there. It's on the doorstep, and it's going to get, uh, I think, tighter and tighter in this country. We'll see it. That's why you need to stay in God's Word and not follow artificial things. Um, yeah, I mean, so AI is kind of the newest thing, you know, the last few years. Uh, we've seen technology just advance, you know, beyond what we can even keep up with. Um, for but as as Pastor Vinny said, our kids—they're just—it's just second nature to them. So <clears throat> what happens is, as we become kind of programmed to accept all of this um, technology, um, it, it's very easy then to slip in things that are of the of the enemy. And so that's kind of where everything is going. Everything, everyone's getting kind of accustomed to this. And like Pastor Joe said, could be used for good things. I mean, you know, f uh, they, from facial rec to stop criminals um, to, you know, to any kind of, you know, technology that would make life easier. You know, facial rec to, uh, to, uh, to make purchases. You know, we have thumbprint technology in our phones. You know, all of that stuff is, you know, is, makes life a little bit easier. But it can also be used on the other side for evil. And I think once we become really programmed to just accept it as part of everyday life, uh, then, you know, the, then humanity is ready to be, um, you know, tricked, deceived by the enemy the, for that final time. So, Did you do that on purpose, saying that we become programmed? That was good. It was very good. Just one other thing before we go to the next question. Remember, uh, Satan is also known as the prince of the power of the air. So the airwaves, he controls, you know, the, that input that he does. Again, that great deception. Pastor Vinny showed us at the men's retreat a, it was so weird, a video of AI Jesus. It was this fake guy made to look like Jesus. And it was sort of on a loop. It was the weirdest thing. And any question you asked AIG, and people love this, AI Jesus would respond with keywords like, I'm going to affirm you, I'm going to encourage you. It was sort of like a gospel light uh, message, and it always went back to the, it was on like a loop. And then he would quote a scripture and then bring it, always positive, always, and just with the hand motions, and it just was very, very weird, but it's definitely an eye-opener. Okay, what is the, this is a great one, what is the purpose of suffering? What is the purpose of suffering? Um, you know, suffering, there's a lot of things that could fall under that sort of category. I would, you know, some people think that like God wants us to suffer. God doesn't want us to suffer. God doesn't want us to, you know, it, you know go through these things that this sinful world has generated. Uh, it's just a fact. It's the consequences of when sin entered the world, death entered the world. So if there's death, then there's sicknesses that lead to death, right? So there's one way that we can suffer. Another way we can suffer is if somebody sinfully does something to hurt us. Um, relationships, crime, a lot of things. Uh, Jesus even uh, assented or uh, he basically gave it as a given in John 16.33 in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. This sinful, fallen world, he said, would be a good, of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Then he speaks about the new kingdom. Um, I would also say in Romans 5, suffering is not, again, God is not, not wanting to hurt us, but through suffering, a lot of times we can grow in other ways. Uh, it says in Romans 5, verse 3, he says, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, right? And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I, I find, and again, it's not 100% because I don't want to stereotype, but I find that when I deal with people who have been through really rough trials in their life, um, if they're moving in the right direction, it actually builds their character. They're deep people. I find that sometimes a person who's 
what you could say, born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they never go through anything. They tend to be shallow. They don't tend to be deep. And the Bible sort of affirms that in that how it builds character. Um, but if we, if we are Christians, what it should do is just is help us to either get closer to God and or stay close to God in the process. So uh, definitely a lot to that. Before I even go to part B, um, if you want to weigh in on the first one, it's a good question. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think individually we can see that you know whatever we've suffered over our lifetime, um, you know, can be used for our for our benefit in some ways, and it's it's a very personal thing. Uh, I like what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians. Um, he said uh, in Philippians three, I'll do verses eight through ten. Uh, yet in, yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So he saw a perspective there in everything that Paul suffered, um, and, he, and he realized that those things were not really important. The most important thing is knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 9, and being found, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Our desire as Christians should be to, to be like Jesus to be as close to Jesus as we, can, as we can possibly be. Part of that is understanding His sufferings for humanity so that we may be saved, and then realizing that whatever sufferings we endure in this life just brings us closer to Jesus. And so we're, we're conformed to Him in those things. And uh, so we have a different perspective on sufferings where the, the world may want to you know, uh, you know, prevent suffering as much as possible in their lives. We don't necessarily pray for it, but we understand that it's going to come and we have to try to look at it with a different perspective. In John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So, we all have suffered in our life. We've all gone through trials, tribulations, sickness, you know, different things with our health. One of the things I know for me, it shows the temporariness of this life. It gives me a hope beyond the grave. Um, that hope is Jesus Christ in us. As the Bible says, He's the hope of glory. We're in a battle every day. Battles bring suffering and pain. God never meant it to be this way. It was never supposed to be a battlefield. But man made a choice. And he, he's been making those choices throughout history. And it's always the wrong choice. It's always a choice going against God and His Word. We've been shed grace so that we can follow His Word. We can submit ourselves to Him in the leading of His Holy Spirit. We truly are blessed regardless of what we have to go through. And as Jesus said in verse 4, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And if you are a believer, you have the living God in you, and you are a light to shine for other people in a dark world to lead them to Christ. And that's the greatest call we can have while we're on this planet. Next question is unrelated. Um, so sometimes the questions are asked and we don't have the entire context so we try to a answer 
based on the way we think it was asked. Uh, the second question is, what is the difference between prophet and messenger? Um, they're very similar. I would say that a prophet is actually an official position, and that position is when God anoints someone to give the word from God to the people in whatever way he wants to do that. Uh, sometimes it's, it was to the Israelites. Sometimes it was to other nations. Sometimes, you know, Jesus fulfilled the role of priest, prophet, and king. He f- fulfilled all three roles. Um, and when, he, when we look at the word messenger, uh, you, you could be a messenger. You know, God could use you to talk to a friend who's suffering, going back to the original question, and you could be that person that sheds some light or some scripture on something that they uh, weren't aware of, and you're encouraging them. Right? You could be dealing with somebody you know, a loved one who's not a believer, and they don't know really anything about the Bible. So in that, in that instance, you, necess- you necessarily don't have the official title of you know, being a prophet sent somewhere, but you certainly are a messenger from God to that person. You know, when we give the gospel, when we share the things of God, uh, we are messengers. We are his messengers. You know, there are very uh, wild and awesome things that God has called us to do to give the message of hope to a hopeless world. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it, instead of hitting it from the uh, angle of um, prophet as a person, messenger as a person, I'm going to hit it from the angle of prophecy, which can be twofold. In its, in its description, it can be the foretelling of the truths of God. And that could have nothing at all to do with future events. So, if, so as Pastor Joe was saying, when we bring the gospel to someone, you know, to, today we spoke to someone about you know, salvation, about God's truths, about the Word of God. That's, that's prophecy in the, in the form of foretelling, foretelling the, the truth of God. There's also a foretelling, which is another definition for prophecy, which is then telling something that hasn't happened yet. And as far as a prophet is concerned in the Scriptures, it's very specific. To be a true prophet of God, you have to be 100% right all of the time, or else you would be considered a false prophet. And there are warnings against false prophets that we should not follow them, we should not listen to them, and there's even warnings in the last days that there will be many coming giving false prophecies. And so the, we can think of maybe even in our modern day, uh, in the last maybe 100 or so, 150 years, of false prophets who have given dates, uh, let's say, for the end of the world or for Jesus' second coming, and they have not come to pass. And so those things we look at and we can identify, okay, well, if they consider themselves a prophet, and God's standard is 100% perfection, then they must be a false prophet. So it's, I love that you know, God gives us a standard to base these things on, um, but certainly, whether it's foretelling or forthtelling, they're both messengers of God. And those two standards are found in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. And before Pastor Vinny jumps in on this, because I, I never want to say anything from this forum and be wrong. I mean, nobody's perfect, but... I mentioned something and I double-checked it. It's actually quite funny that AI, (laughs) it wasn't just Google, it was Facebook and some other large companies that try to start this. So going back to that question a few questions ago, they tried these AI experiments and the the computer, it's like the Terminator movie, right? It was was 40 years ago. It it took over the, the chat or it took over the program and the users had to shut it down. AI can be very dangerous, uh, but okay, let's go ahead with that one. <laughs> I think most everything was covered, just the only thing I had um, in addition to that was a messenger can be a person or it could also be an angel. You know, we see that angels were used by God to bring messages to uh, the people. Okay. As you can see, we have a wide variety of questions. So this question came up, um, you know, there's so many, I guess, more modern translations, but this was, what is the 21st, uh, I guess, 21st or 21st century King James Version 
And we actually looked that up, right? <laughs> I be honest with you, I didn't know it was a thing, but it was for people who sort of the King James Version only crowd, uh, but it removes the hither and the thithers and the thous, so it retains it gets rid of the sort of poetic language that we don't use anymore. So it's actually a it's a it's a version of the Bible, an old version, without a lot of these sort of poet poetic words that we just don't use anymore. Uh, and it remains it, it remains intact after those words are used. Uh, but anyway, going to these this translation issue, and and I I've run into people that just are so staunch on listen. If it's a bad version, some of these new versions are just odd. But if it's a, a, a bad version, some of the new ones it's it's right to reject it. But some people get so hung up on the old translations. And, you know, it actually, I think it prompted me to take up a study which is called paleography, which is sort of a, a branch of archaeology which studies ancient languages. And, uh, you know, somebody will come to me and go, oh, in this church you have the New King James. And I've had this. Well, how come you don't use the King James? I'm like, because nobody can identify with all those words, those filler words. And I said to, well, was one lady, I said, she didn't come back to the church. I was nice. I really was. And I said, you, you, you know, before I put a sermon together, I'll go into the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. I said, so it doesn't really matter, okay, where the English is, because every translator has to go back to the original. And there's, there's like 70 translators on both sides, Old and New Testament. Imagine putting 70 highly intelligent people in a room and say, you got to agree, what does this Greek word mean? It takes years for these translations to actually, and they're really legit and solid. So people get hung up on the translation. You know what? What is Jesus saying, right? Uh, if John the Baptist says, uh, "Hearken, the Lamb of the the Lamb of God," in another version says, "Look, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God." It's the same thing. He just said the same thing. Uh, you know, people get they argue over some of these translation issues when there's really nothing to argue over. I know you did a lot of study on the KJV. Yeah, yeah. So we so we definitely had to uh, do do a little research to answer this question, which is fine. We love it. So, um, so yeah. So it's it's not really a new translation. It's really just an updated version of the what what a lot of uh, people might call the authorized King James, which is 1611 King James. Um, but even in the but even in the uh, in the folks that are very strict. Uh, to to only use the King James version, um, a lot of them don't adhere to this new updated version of it, um, which is strange to me because what all that all this does it's not a new translation it's an updated version of the 1611. What it does is it just brings the language up to date. I mean we can go back you can go back and look. I mean try reading Shakespeare. I mean, we can just go back and see how language has changed. What's the study of the language of language? Paleography. Paleography. So we can see how language has changed, and we just know it. And so, how much more? How much easier is it for us to read the Bible in an updated language that we can understand? Don't we want to understand it? So I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, and so, you know, if you're asking if it's a good version to read, I would say yes. I don't see I don't see really any downside to it. The Old Testament followers of God and uh, Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, they did not use the King James version. Um, people who stick with that are very legalistic when they say King James version only. I remember we took when I was a high school teacher, we took about 10 kids to the Harvest Crusade in Philadelphia and, and a few of them got saved and they all took Bibles, all 10 of them. And there was a guy who wanted to come with us from our town and uh, when we got in the car he was very upset that the Bible was not the King James Version and that it, it wasn't a real Bible. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You're like taking, you're taking this attitude and it is an attitude a legalistic one, and here's 10 kids that are anywhere from 13 to 17. They have a Bible, some of them for the first time in their hand, in a version that they can understand. 
I can guarantee there are probably 99.9% of teenagers that will start reading the King, if they started reading the King James Version, they would shut it. They wouldn't deal with it. So these people who are making the different versions that are still very good, it's so that the people today can read it and understand it and get excited about God's Word. Okay, <laughs> two more points on that. Um, it's so funny, I did a wedding, I did a wedding on Saturday, I did a wedding on Sunday, and after the Sunday wedding, uh, an older gentleman came up to me, it was very interesting, and he just started peppering me with questions about <laughs> biblical versions and translations, and we had a great discussion. Uh, a lot of people haven't heard about paleography, that's one of those sciences that, you know, I say it, and people are like, what is that? But, it, you know, when you start explaining to people, and you talk about uh, translations, First Temple period, uh, hammered metals where they were engraved. Uh, they moved to animal skins. They moved to parchment paper. Uh, it's really wild. And when you look at all of these different uh, translations that have been found, beautifully preserved, Dead Sea Scrolls, and you put them all together, different time periods, different people, different languages, different ethnicities, different parts of the world, and they all put it together, and God's Word is pure. It's 99.999% pure, and the .0001 is just the human copyist mistake here and there, but it doesn't change anything. Uh, so actually, the translation thing is fascinating, and I get people come to me and go, well, you can't trust the Bible because it's like telephone, and I said, stop, <laughs> stop. I said, that's not how the translators work. I said, they, they, these people, are, they have degrees, this is all they do, uh, and you get them in a room, a lot of them don't know each other, and they go back to the original versions to translate it. They don't take a translation and then say, oh, I think it says this. That's telephone. That's not how it works. They go back to the original parchments, which are still preserved, which is sort of God's joke on the atheistic, mostly archaeological world, where uh, he's basically saying, you don't think I exist? Then why do you people guard the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint and all that kind of stuff? with machine guns, right? Because that's what they do. With, you see the Dead Sea Scrolls is on tour. They have armed guards protecting God's Word, which is the biggest laugh that I get is because the reason they protect it is because it's so rare, and that's what makes it so priceless, but it's God's Word. <laughs> so who do you think wrote it? Who do you think sent it to us? Who do you think they're talking about in those, in those parchments? They're talking about God. Don't just look at the letters and the paper. Look at what it says on the piece of paper. Okay, I'm done. Where were we? <laughs> okay, next question. Okay. This one, I'm going to let you read it because it, it's that one that we... So I think after this one, we'll open up for questions because this, this one's very cerebral. Um, so this is from somebody I know um, who uh, wrote this question in, and it says... Um, they are, it's really two questions, but really it can, be all, it can all be uh, put into one. It says here, they are for the most part the same in nature. The question is in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, here is what I've been told my whole life. At the last trump, with the shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who remain will be caught up in the clouds to, to be with the Lord forever. I look at these verses and where they are in the book of Revelation, we just look at the trumpet sounding and the 144,000, and then we see thir uh, three angels with the warning of worship to the beast, and now we're reading the harvest of the earth. So this person says, I see the first harvest here as the gathering to the Lord, the Lord's house or the rapture, and the second event to the battle of Armageddon. Am I reading this wrong? And then the second part of the question is, and it's really basically the same, in verses 14 and 15 in Revelation 14, um, they talk about here, how do we rightly divide those verses? So I read the question, but I'm going to defer to Pastor Joe for the answer, or at least to start answering, if you don't mind. Wondering why I'm distracting with folding cards, there's actually a reason for it. So... I haven't lost my mind. 
although some would disagree with that statement. Basically, when you look at Daniel 9, Daniel 9, okay, and you're looking left to right, which is how we follow linear history. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel told us about the two comings of Christ. A lot of people don't realize that. The reason why, in the first coming, all the disciples, most of them at some point, well, all of them, leave the tax collector booth, leave fishing, is because the 69 sevens, or the 483 years from a specific event in Persia, the Jews knew that the Messiah was coming. So if you actually did a calculation, you would get roughly uh, April 6, 32 AD. And here comes Jesus. Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. He ascends into heaven. Keeping with Daniel's prophecy, Daniel's prophecy has, says nothing about Christians because Christians don't exist yet. Daniel says there's 483 Well, it's actually 490 years, but there's a pause when Jesus ascended into when he died on that week, um, and he was resurrected, goes to heaven. He effectively goes back where he came from. So the 483 years, there's a pause until the 490 years, that last seven-year period. So in that gap is what's considered the church age, right? The time of the Gentiles and Jerusalem, all that stuff. It's a major harvest to bring the Gentiles into salvation. Because here, this was mostly a Jewish thing. The Gentiles came later. Although in 2023, it looks different because there's so many more Gentiles that have come into the fold and many Jewish people. Okay. Here is, keeping with this prophecy, here's that last seven-year period which completes the 490 years, which is the second coming of Christ. Okay? And then once that is over, the Lord returns. All this is done away with human history. Everything's remade to perfection and it stays that way pristine for eternity. Something happens between the Lord's first coming, the observable first coming, and the observable second coming, and that's what we know as the rapture. It's a different color piece of paper. Um, Because this has nothing to do with the 490-year prophecy, which, if you read Daniel 9, is mainly, or not mainly, let me scratch that, only for the Jewish people. So when the Lord comes, in between those two comings, right, when you see the decorations for Christmas, you know, Thanksgiving is here, there's no date for this. All the date setters have been wrong. The Lord comes and removes His church prior to that seven-year period where the Lord is raining down those revelation judgments. So um, this is... We're going to get to this because we're going to get to eventually 1 Thessalonians. Actually, Pastor Vinny taught it on Wednesdays. This scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, speaks all about that rapture discussion. Did I answer the question? Okay, I don't want to dominate this. Um, nice, right, the cards? Uh, you, you want to answer that part about the harvest? So when you look in the book of Revelation, the church is gone by chapter 4. We don't see the church again until the end of Revelation. So everything from 4 till I guess chapter 19, I believe it is, or the beginning of 20, I think it's through 19, is the judgment. So these sickles, this is my feeling based on what, just studying the Scripture, that the sickle is the judgment of God. That He is uh, separating the wheat from the tares. Um, there's going to be, as Pastor Joe said, the church age is right now. We're in it. You're in it. I'm in it. When the church is raptured, the church age is over, and then God's attention is fully on the Jewish people. However, there will be people that went to church or that ignored God that will be left on this planet. Non-Jews. Okay? They are also going to be judged, but they're also going to have time if they live through the cataclysmic things that are going to take place to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why it's so 
important that we do it now so we don't have to go through this horrendous time. It's going to make uh, Hitler's Holocaust look like a Boy Scout camp. It's going to be that bad. It's going to be more than we could ever receive. So the sickles, I believe, are the judgment of God. And the wine press, too, I believe, is a judgment of God because if you continue to read, it goes on to talk about the blood that's going to be up to the horse's bridle. So it's a terrible, terrible time of God's judgment on this planet, which hasn't started yet. We haven't seen it yet till tribulation. As bad as things are in the world, we haven't seen it yet. So just, and this isn't really my expertise, but just one thing I wanted to add in Revelation 14 on this as we read it. So again, as Pastor Vinny said, you know, this this looks like you know the church is the church is really out of here believers have already been raptured by this time but there will be people during that time that do get that do get saved so they're called tribulation saints and so one of these harvests um and you know it depends on how you look at it one of these harvests could be just god gathering in those tribulation saints and the other one can be the the wrath of god so if you look at it as two separate harvests, there's a possibility that it's, it's that way. One of them says, he gathers, um, he gathers uh, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine for the rapes are, f- are fully ripe. And then the angel uh, also gathers and uh, uh, gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So that's definitely wrath. So there could be two, two ways of looking at that. You know... I- I think that, well, I don't think that. When I first became a Christian, I would read the Bible. I'd understand some of it. Most of it, I didn't. <laughs> it took a long time, a learning curve, as I like to say. Um, and you know what I found? I found that when I studied the, the first century history of the Israelites and even under the Roman occupation, a lot of the stuff came to light for me. Because, you know, Jesus would walk with his disciples he would speak to the crowds. And most of the, that's not like the United States. We're all about education here. Most of those people were not educated. Many of them couldn't read and write. So the Lord Jesus, as genius as he is, because he's the mind of God, would often use parables and metaphors and symbolism because the people could understand that, right? If you were an age of maturity, maybe you couldn't read and write, but you could, you could also be good at your job, provide a, a living for your family because you, you knew how to do certain things. So when Jesus went into these metaphors, so like the harvest, right? Jesus spoke about uh, one harvest where there was wheat and tares gathered up the, the, you know, because they looked very similar, the weeds and the good stuff that you would eat, and they would be harvested, and then the, the, the farm owner would separate them, burn the stuff that's not usable, but keep the good stuff, right? So... Um, so I like that way you kind of made that dichotomy is that uh, sometimes you read the scripture and the harvest is is a judgment harvest and sometimes you read the scripture and you've got to look at this in context is the a harvest for a good crop and even the um, um, you, you look at the three forms of how the good crop was was taken in part the first part would be sort of the first fruits you know you'd give that to God it was really this really nice, sweet portion of the harvest, um, then the main harvest would be gathered up. And then the last would be the gleanings, which under Jewish law, the poor people would come from all over. And you could not touch that last, I don't know if it was 10%, it was a percentage. If you were a landowner, it was like a sort of a a, a honest version of a welfare uh, program where the people would come in and you would just let them take whatever they wanted for the rest of that harvest so they could feed themselves and their families. Um, so there was the good harvest, and you see this with uh, Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. And even in Matthew, we read about people that appeared in Jerusalem that had died. So there's that first fruits, which is not a lot, but the most important part, because Jesus was part of that resurrection. Then you have sort of the rapture, which is the main harvest, um, is the majority of the people that are, God's going to come bring them up and protect them and then that last part of the uh sort of the the gleanings which would be the tribulation saints and we see this in the book of revelation so you saw this you see even the the good harvest is is 
separated into three different sections. It's really, really cool how he does this stuff. I think one of the things also, I think a danger is um, some people could be listening that says, well, you know what, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry because I'll just be one of those uh, people in the tribulation that comes to the Lord. And that's really foolish thinking because as we know, no matter what age we are, young or old, this could be the last day we're on the face of the earth. So we need to be right with Jesus right now, to this moment. And um, the ancient Greek word for ripe has a ne negative connotation. It, it means to become dry or withered. It actually means to be overripe. And um, the judgment on the earth, we're overripe for judgment right now because of God's long-suffering. He's very patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So all the things that are going on in the world, the craziness, the sin that's in the world, the anti-Christ beliefs and laws that are being passed, people are seeing how bad it's getting. This is their time to come to the Lord before we go into the tribulation. But again, you have to understand, after the rapture, when the rapture takes place, there's going to be a lot of people dying. There's going to be a lot of uh, accidents and uh, things, automobiles. If I'm driving an automobile on the parkway at 60 and I disappear, my car is going to go wild somewhere. Same thing with planes, you know, or boats or whatever. You can apply it to anything. So there is a harvest for good, but there's also a harvest for uh, misery. There's a harvest of the tares where they're going to be gathered together and bundled up and thrown, thrown into the fire. Okay. We usually end later, but I think I want to end sooner because I think there's going to be a lot of questions afterwards. Um, I'm also going to give a moment for anyone to ask questions that something's bothering them or nagging them or there's something they're not understanding. Um, but I can tell you this, knowing what I know about the Bible probably coupled with 25 years as a police officer and seeing so much death, I talk to people every day. Sometimes people think I'm weird, which is okay. Um, I, I try to refine how I talk to people. Uh, so if I'm at a public, you know, I did two weddings, try to talk to people in between. I always try to bring God into the conversation. I want everybody to know about God. Do I fail miserably at times? Absolutely. But my heart, my motives are and, you know, if it's not me today, it'll be, you know, Andy tomorrow or, you know, the Napoli's the next day. It, you know, it does, it's not about me, but I always want to just give an opportunity to have a discussion with people about the Lord out of very, well. So anyway, does anybody have any questions? Yes. So the question is, are Catholics saved? Um, I, so let me just say this, is that... I would never want to paint with a broad brush, right? And any group, are, are Calvary Chapel people saved? I could ask that same question. And like Pastor Vinny said, there could be people in Bible-teaching churches for years, and they're just there maybe because their spouse wants them to come, or they're there because, I don't know, they like the music, or they like the people because a lot of their neighbors come. A lot of people come to church for the wrong reasons. Um, I think the difference between... A Calvary Chapel versus, because I grew up in a Catholic church and some of my family are still Catholics, is that there's a lot of ceremonial, a lot of liturgical stuff, but not a lot of word-based. So if you come here for a sermon, and, and I always try to build bridges with all people. So if I talk to somebody who's Catholic and they came to the church and like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think my parents would like me being here. And I just say, just tell them it's a long version of, of the, uh, the homily. And even as a little boy, when the priest would get up and read for five, five to ten minutes about one of the Gospels, as a little boy, I couldn't remember all the prayers and the sit-stand-kneel, but I did, I did love the homily, even as a little boy. So to try to build a bridge, sort of what we do on Sundays, it's a, it's a longer version of the homily. It's word-based, it's a lot more, and we don't have all the other things that we kind of eliminated that stuff. So I would just say, Baptists, you know, Catholics, Calvary Chapel, when you come to church, it, do, you, do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? 
Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that he died for your sins, that you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're saved? Now, if you're at a church, Catholic church, contemporary church, some of these other churches where they don't teach a lot of the Bible, a person may, as when they believe in Jesus, they may become very hungry for Jesus' teachings. And at some point, they may leave a church that doesn't really share the Scripture and gravitate more towards a church. And that's what I did. I'm like, wow, man, almost the whole service is I'm learning about God's Word. I want to come back next Sunday, right? Remember you were talking about you and Claire, right? You wanted to come Wednesdays. You wanted to come and just keep getting more and more and more of it. So, so I, you know, the question is sometimes asked of me, and I will reframe it and then say the, the standard is trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Go ahead. <laughs> a few hands. So a great question, uh, Vinny, that you asked. And I was a Roman Catholic for 28 years before I left the church. So you must be born again, Jesus said, regardless of where you are. You have to be born again. And in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, it says, and this was very sobering to me, and it should be to you when you think of what... Um, is said here in God's Word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So God's will is for us to accept Him into our heart, um, admit that we are sinners, uh, believe that He died on the cross for our sins, ask Him to come into our lives. We are then filled with God's Holy Spirit and then we are abiding in Him. We read His Word. We fellowship with other believers. There is evidence of that salvation in a person's life. The will of God is to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we know, you can't love your neighbor if it's not a supernatural love most of the time. It takes a work of God in your heart to make you new creatures in Him. So there's going to be fruit in your life if you're a true believer of Jesus Christ. So like Pastor Joseph, that was huge. Not everybody in this church is saved. You know, and if this church started teaching something or just partial of God's Word, I know three guys that want to be here anymore, and you're looking at them. We would go someplace else where we're going to be fed God's Word and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's evidence of your salvation. Hunger for God's Word. Nisha and then Shay. Tanisha? No, good question. So it says that Moses spoke to God face to face. I think it even says as one would speak to a friend. And then it also says no one can see God's face and live. So there are some things in the Hebrew culture, Greek culture, Roman culture that we have to parse. Um, Moses, there was some interaction because when he came down from the mountain, his face was glowing and he freaked the people out. So <laughs> there was some evidence that Moses was a lot closer to God than most people would have been. However, if God had uh, revealed his full glory to Moses, I think Moses would have been an ember. He would have been roasting. Um, you know, we see that in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is, sees incredible things, right? So there, uh, we see John. John in Revelation 4 and 5, he's 
taken to the throne room. We see the Apostle Paul saying, if it was a vision, if it was uh, in person, I I don't know, but I I saw some things pretty much inexplicable. So um, even in the uh, transfiguration, right, the disciples are with him and he's, there's a, like a, it's the, well, the blinding light in Acts, Acts 9. So God, how do I say this? He, he can have a dialogue, right? He can interact with us because the, no, we can't have the brains that we have from, from accidents of billions of years. Somebody more intelligent had to make us. Because God even says in Isaiah 1, come let us reason together. So there was interaction with God and Moses. Was there a, it's almost like the welders, right? You ever see the welders in TV, on TV? You can look at the TV and see the welding gun, but the welders in real life have to wear a helmet and they have to wear something to shield their eyes so it doesn't burn their retinas. And the first time they're welding, they're now they're blind. So there had to be something that God had when him and Moses were having a discussion and a dialogue where Moses couldn't see the whole thing, the whole picture as a sinner. But, but he did interact with him. So it's sort of like, and people say, oh, it's a Bible discrepancy. No, it's not. Do you hear the way I just explained it? You know what I'm saying? So you, you can interact with God. We interact with him with prayer all the time. Um, but there also had to be some sort of uh, attenuation, I don't, however you want to say it, filter, so that Moses didn't become an ash on the ground when the, the conversation was done. Oh, no, I know, I know. And, and I try to repeat because people on the live stream can't hear the questioner. So um, I always repeat it. It's an excellent question, and it's a deep question. Any? I was just thinking like in Jacob 32.30, it says that Jacob... Uh, wrestled with God and and spoke with him face to face. And when you look up the term for God, it's Elohim. And it's the same thing in the verse that you just said. So could it be possible that it was the pre-incarnate Christ that Moses was talking about and when it passed, when God passed by him and he was put in the cleft of the rock, could that have been God the Father? It's possible. We don't know for sure. But it's definitely something to consider. And there's been other uh, Christophanies, the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, you know, with Abraham. And I guess there's some other ones, but those are two or three that I can think of. Let's go with uh, Shay. Has his hand up? Okay, so. Um, there are people that believe that nobody gets saved during the tribulation. I think that's unscriptural. Uh, John even sees the people under the altar who are waiting for their brethren to be vindicated. You know, who are that group of people? And John's like, I, I don't know who they are. So he doesn't recognize anybody. So there's a lot of reasons why it's unscriptural that nobody gets saved during the tribulation. I always say, take the first bus. It's much more comfortable. It's climate-controlled. You can take the last bus, but it's going to be very a very difficult, bumpy ride getting on that bus. But God is a merciful God. I've seen deathbed conversions, etc. As far as the 144,000, I, I believe it's specific. I believe he says each one, and he speaks about the tribe, and it's out of this tribe. Um, and it, people think that it, it could be, it's all people from Israel, but there's Jewish people all over the world. Could be some from the United States, some from France that their lineage can be traced back to that, and you can trace it back. And even if we lose the records, God knows. He, he didn't, it didn't go past him. So yes, I believe it's literally 144,000. And think about this, the timing. So when the, the believers, Jews and Christians, who, who are removed in the rapture, got to be somebody left to, to you know, get the gospel out so people could get saved. So it's primarily somebody or people with this lineage but it's also if you read revelation the angel uh is up in in the heavens and there's silence for half an hour and then he he preaches the everlasting gospel you don't see that in the scripture but in revelation right everybody needs to still hear the message of salvation so they can be saved so um you know i would i debated i used to live in east brunswick jehovah witnesses have some confusion about the hundred and forty four thousand and their 
when you start to take apart what they believe, it's, you know, it's only 144,000 actually get to heaven. God's heaven, this wonderful, glorious heaven, only can fit 144,000 people. Everybody else has to live on the earth. It, what it sounds like is what we deal with in the caste system in American culture, foreign cultures. When you start hearing somebody talk about God as if God is, you know, like people here today, you know, racial oppression, division, you know, you're, you're good, you get in, you have to go to the back of the line. That's not God. That happens here in this world. It doesn't happen there. So I don't know if I answered the question. I know I hit it from a lot of different... Okay. Um, why don't we... Uh, Andy, and then we'll close it. I just want to add on to what uh, was just answered with uh, Shay. So you have the 144,000 Jewish virgins. You have the two witnesses. And you have the angel Mm -hmm. going back and forth sharing the gospel. Remember what we said earlier? The tribulation period is specifically for the Jewish people. Thus you have all, all those like the two witnesses and so on. So um, God doesn't want anybody to perish. And just like right now is the church age, but Jews are being saved. So just like that, the nature of God is when it's the time for the Jews, there's going to be Gentiles being saved. It just goes with the character of God. God is not a respecter of persons, the Bible says. And then as far as just the limitation of God, how do you limit God to it's only 144,000? Like you have the... Dallas Cowboys Stadium, you have Penn State, you have L.A. Coliseum. That all seats 100,000. A man built that. You know? Had to put a little sports in there, but go ahead. Yeah, that's good. I always say that too. God's heaven can only hold 144,000. I'm being sarcastic. Would he be, when he went to the permit office, he didn't ask for a bigger, a bigger place, and they said, no, you got to. No, no, no. God can do whatever God wants. And there's got to be, over the course of history, trillions or quadrillions or more. Think about through time of people that are saved. That's a lot of people. You know, we think about, oh, there's 7.8 billion people on the planet. Think about all the people that have ever existed on the planet and all those people who are saved. There's going to be a big heaven. Andy? Andy had his hand up. Great point, face-to-face. And that was actually one thing I didn't say, but there was a uh, sort of, a, and you, you, you hear that in the, you know, it's so funny, colloquialisms or sayings in ancient cultures are still sayings thousands of years later in the United States over the seas. So face-to-face um, is, is, was also a colloquialism about, like you said, intimacy, you know, that, that dialogue. So what I, I do want to end it, and then we'll also have time afterwards for people who still have questions. Um, I mean, we hit the gospel in this, definitely. And I think if there is somebody new, though, tuning in, that might not even know what gospel means. And let's just say that, that God's working on their heart, and they don't want to go into the tribulation. We mentioned that a few times. For that person, what do they have to do to be saved? The beauty, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody today who's a new believer and uh, just saying to her, as this church is not going to dump a bunch of rules on your shoulders. You enjoy God at your level and at your pace. You know, we're not about forcing people to do this. Because that's what makes church not enjoyable. It does, it takes the, the, the enjoyment out of a relationship with God when a church is putting all these burdens on you that God never meant for you. So, you know, the reason why it's called being born again is you start as a baby again. You could be 60 years, 70 years old, get saved, believe in Christ, and you're like a child again because you don't really know anything and you're learning about your God that you never knew. So you could be watching on the live stream and you could um, just say, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? <laughs> Repent and believe. And what that means is, is change. And change means to not so much look at you running your life all the time, but 
you know, you want to have God part of that relationship that you believe, and you can say this. It's not a formula. It's not words that I would print out for you because I say it differently every time. But just, you know, just look up to God and say, Lord, I, I, I do believe that Jesus died for my sins. I do want to trust in that sacrifice for my sins. I do want to be saved. I do want to walk with you. Um, and you say something similar to that, um, and you'd be surprised how things start to change in your life around you, uh, and just, just ask the Lord, put me in a, a good church, put me with uh, friends that can encourage me that know more than I do about you, uh, and you know, ask them and, and have that discussion with them. And you say something like that, and you believe in him, you trust in him for your salvation, you're saved. And it's funny, it's like people say, I didn't get a tingly feeling. Some people do, some people don't. Your spirit is being revived. It's not necessarily something that's tangible, but it's something that's real. Good? All right. Everyone have a good night. God bless you. And uh, hope to see you on Sunday when we finish talking about the second coming. Good night. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.